0: All right, this is The Yay, I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. (laughs) We have a fantastic guest, Carrie Ann Roscoe. Carrie Ann, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks. All right, thank you for joining us this uh, wonderful Saturday afternoon. My pleasure. And I'll lower the music right on. So Saturday afternoon, uh, Carrie Ann is a. Um, sh- you are a operatic singer, but you're also an actress. Actress, excuse an me. Actress. We we were <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Tongue tied, to, uh, to, you know. I gotta work <laughs> on my, gotta work on my uh, dialect. No, uh, you're di- just being
1: like a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> you're just adding an X to the. Industry. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. I
0: know, I know. In <laughs> case an actress singer, uh, well, you and I shared the stage at the uh, the the Shelton Theater mm-hmm. when we did the. Um, Playwrights in for San Francisco, and I think you're working on something right now. Are you? Are you in um, rehearsals for something?
2: I'm not in rehearsals for anything right now. Um, I've got some auditions coming up. What I am working on right now is I'm helping to write um, an, a parody operetta. Every year, the mm. I work a lot with the Lamplighters, which mm-hmm. is a company in San Francisco, mm-hmm. as you know does a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan repertoire. Oh, nice. And every year as a fundraiser, we write a whole new operetta. We write a whole new show. Hmm. And we use Sullivan's melodies. So the music is already already written, but Mm -hmm. we write new lyrics and Mm -hmm. we write an entire new book. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing that um, for the past several months and something that Mm -hmm. I've been doing for the past, gosh, almost decade now with the company. Mm -hmm. Is it like
0: political political, – Parody, parody. yeah. It
2: sometimes is, but honestly, we we try to avoid going really hardcore political mm-hmm. because even when we add a little bit in, folks get a mm. little ruffled. And so you're mm. kind of towing a line. We definitely went more political last year. Mm-hmm. We did like a Saturday Night Live kind of format, so we had a bunch of vignettes, and oh. some of them were were Mm-hmm. And um, people tolerated it, you mm-hmm. know, because I think the majority of our audience is is pretty liberal on the whole, but we do have some conservative folks in our,
1: mm-hmm.
2: among our patrons. And mm-hmm. so there were some raised eyebrows and some mm-hmm. like, you know, you were a little political this year. So it's not Beach Blanket. It is not Beach Blanket, no. <laughs> <laughs> we try to be wacky and madcap, but it is not as pointed as Beach Blanket, no.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. We'll talk more about that. As I begin my uh, podcast all the time, uh, how was your week, Norman? Starting to get busy. It is. Yes.
1: You know, um, I have a son, and uh, so he's been in school two weeks, and that turned into a huge fight last night. Mm. Um, my wife just started, her school just started up this last week. Um, and I've had a couple of weeks where I didn't have much to do, and this week things started to pick up. And so I'm getting out on the road, and I'm working, and I'm getting paid, and I'm like, ooh, hey, excitement. Mm-hmm. So that was different. Um, In terms of theater, I should plug, um, I went to the Theater Artists, well, it's the Theater Artists Guild and the, I forget what the other acronym is, something Alliance, maybe it's Arts Education Alliance Bay Area, I Mm -hmm. think is the whole acronym. Yeah. These two organizations have been putting together for a couple of years now, uh, basically an audition for theater artists, for teaching artists. And... um, so I thought I would step in and see what was up with that because when they posted for it, I had not much going on. We start, excuse me, we start rehearsals in a couple of days for uh, four, four Men, men in Paris, Paris. Yeah, I've got other commitments that I started that have started to manifest, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm suddenly getting busy. And then in the middle of the night, the boy is going crazy because we don't have good Wi-Fi. <laughs> So his game is getting interrupted, and he's been complaining about it for weeks, and they've been fighting about it for Mm -hmm. weeks. And he's been a good boy for two whole weeks. Shouldn't he get something for that? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, uh, I thought the agreement was first marking period, we'd see how things were going. Mm. I thought that's what the agreement was. Mm But you know he's chomping at the bit, so mm. and I'm like, and you know, and the funny thing is, so he's like, he's got a job right now, so he's like, I will put up the money so as we can get on to AT and T. It's better, <laughs> it's high speed. Blah blah blah. He's like, and she said, Yay! Yeah, yeah, I was so happy to hear it. She said, It's not about the money. It's about the issue of you spending all of your free time doing mm-hmm. that. That's yeah.
0: that's a problem. Yeah, weaning you know weaning yourself. It's it's amazing. You know, we can remember our life. Without the internet. Right. And, hmm. um, you know, it's, it's... Well, that's a negative in his mind.
1: Yeah. That would be like talking about, you know, the horse and buggy <laughs> days. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, why would you want to do that? That's <laughs> crazy. This isn't the way things are. Yeah. Do you have
2: any kids, Carrie Ann? No, I don't. Okay. I don't.
1: But I, uh, I wasn't aiming for it. I just... I got, <laughs> I got married two years ago. Uh-huh. And that came with parenting, uh-huh. sort of. Yeah. Step parenting, which yeah. is different than parenting. Sure, yeah, sure. yeah.
2: How old is your son?
1: is my usual answer is 16 going on asshole. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) But actually, I'd say we're kind of over that hump. I Uh mean, like every time I go to complain about something, I start to complain and then I catch myself and say, I know. I know he's doing this now and I know he's doing that now. Mm -hmm. He's starting to pick up some awareness Mm -hmm. and starting to take care of things and starting to be a little more sensitive and and it's getting a little better. I mean,
0: we've all been there. I mean, Although, when we were no, kids, no. I mean, uh, I'm a ch- um, I was a teenager in the 80s, and although it wasn't the internet, it was uh, video games. And, of course, uh, n- mm-hmm. not Nintendo, but I think it was uh, the Atari 2600, the Intellivision, the ColecoVision. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I'll that's I'll be, right. yeah. Carrie yeah. Ann has a big smile on her face. Yeah. No. Yeah. Totally the, related. the arcade era of the internet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had, we had the Sears Roebuck version of the oh, Atari yes, 2600. Yes. It was called the Game System. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we had that. Uh-huh. It was compatible with Atari games,
0: but we didn't actually have Atari. Uh, yeah. Oh. No. And dominating all the television gosh. sets. gosh. <laughs> Does anybody <laughs> even
2: say Atari? Before?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, of course, the big thing was, of course, they didn't have a, a save function. So you basically oh. kept the game. Let's say if you were interrupted, hey, we need dinner or whatever, you would keep the game on. And, of course, it could burn, you know, whatever image. can oh, could right. burn onto uh-huh. the TFT screen. Right. <laughs> And that would, you know, that'll be a great big argument. Oh, and of course, those were the days where the television was a, a furniture item. Yes, <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. So that battle happened in the middle yeah. of the night last night, and thankfully, he started to throw a tantrum, mm-hmm. and she told him not to. Good, because I really like I'm. I can't do anything about it. I'm not the parent. Yeah. Um, but I do feel free to voice my opinion, which is this is just so unacceptable. And in yeah. my world, mm-hmm. tantrum. And so she got in yeah. bed. He went to take a shower instead of throwing a tantrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, much better solution. Ah. Yeah. So much more mature. Mm-hmm. And uh, she came to bed and she said, well, you know, I mean, I remember doing that. I mean, not that specifically, but I remember having tantrums. And I was like, no. Eh. Had a tantrum at 13 remember it Mm -hmm. remember it because i didn't get in trouble for it it was so out of character that it kind of stunned my parents and Mm. then we had a conversation about it a few days later that was it yeah that was all that happened about it but i was so trained not to do that Mm -hmm. so when she casually says well i mean we do that i'm like no no (laughs) yeah no you don't understand i could be kicked literally kicked out of my house if that happened in the night yeah I could be kicked out of my house and yeah. told, mm-hmm. why don't I sit outside for a little while until I'm ready to come in with a decent attitude? Mm-hmm. And believe me, you throw somebody outside in their underwear, it doesn't take them long to decide right. that they can say please yeah. and, oh, I'm sorry. And mm-hmm.
0: You and I have talked about this, about parenting skills, and sometimes it delves into race. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. it gets into – I mean, they're just within – The black community, at least the black community that I know of, that was completely intolerable. I mean, there's just way too many things going on society-wise and community-wise and the family struggling to deal with a kid. All these films that we're talking about um, that are hearkening back to the civil rights era Mm -hmm. as
1: if somehow it were better now. All Mm -hmm. it really is is a chance for us to say, no, this is what it was, not how bad it was because Mm -hmm. really when you look at what it was – you see that it's still going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to a large extent. Yeah. And so that's not different. But my wife is now able to have conversations about mm-hmm. this and say, oh, I see, starting to see the connection. So I'm like, yeah, you have to understand, black folks raise their children the same way we're saying now, you have to tell your sons how to talk to the police because right. you don't want to get mm-hmm. shot. Right? Black folks have been teaching their children that behavior for generations. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. So black folks have been felt free to be very harsh in their punishment mm-hmm. because the alternative is not mm-hmm. necessarily getting shot. That seems to be a newer phenomenon. Yeah. Phenomena. yeah. <laughs> in the the level mm-hmm. of acceptance from our society. Yeah. But um but there have always been those portions of our society that would have come down harshly on you mm-hmm. for the least little thing. Yeah. So we've been training our kids for a long time not to do that. And I have to restrain myself mm-hmm. and go, this is not a even though his father is is mixed. hmm he is so light. Nobody is going to see this kid as black. And I'm like, they're not, you're not going to have the troubles that other black kids are going to have. Mm-hmm. You're not going to deal with the struggles that other black kids are going to have. Mm-hmm. Your world is not this world. But by the same token, therefore, I don't worry about you. If you get stopped by the police, you will probably mouth off and they
0: will treat you like a little white kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's interesting. I didn't mean to cut, cut you off, uh, Carrie, but no, we're okay. talking about... What it is growing up black and how we have to prepare for a world that can treat us differently. Mm-hmm. But women have to go through the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking about where I'm transitioning into current events. I mean, there have yeah, been yeah, things yeah. like Paul Manafort and that going on. I have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also, you know, um, so Molly, Molly Tibbetts, you know who she is. That's okay. the woman in uh, Iowa who was killed. Mm-hmm. The, her body was found. And now the Republicans are using her as a political football. Right. Mm-hmm. This, in my opinion, can be a bookmark to Mia Wilson, a black woman Mm -hmm. who was uh, cut in the throat and killed. But it was
1: random, and and it wasn't race-related.
0: Right, exactly, of course, but there are black activists in Oakland who are like, yes, it is, and they want to, whatever. But the question I had for you, Carrie, (laughs) as far as growing up and being told, like, a black – you know, when I was a black kid, I was told, hey, as a black man, this is how you need to act so you don't get in trouble with the police – but as a woman, I think women are told similarly. Yeah. Well, but but just how to function so you don't get, let's say, raped. Or oh yeah. You you're put into whatever. Oh and yeah. Sort of
1: Study. Don't get raped.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. But I, I mean, how to handle yourself? Things yes. that less men take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it persists.
2: It's, it's not even something that just little girls get or that you know mm-hmm. children get. It's something that women still, as you know, are 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 expected to not get themselves raped. As opposed to, it, and it's absolutely it's ridiculous a to, way say to, have to say that. Yeah. It is, but, it is, but it's true. It's <coughs> totally true. And
0: it, and it came out wrong. I mean, there's, there's just not just rape, but also sexual harassment. Right. It's how you mm-hmm. handle yourself in the job. Right. Or when a guy approaches you, how to, maybe how to say no. I don't know. But right. I guess
1: it sounded like your question was expli- is there an explicit, hey, you need to watch out for this. Oh, yeah. Is there absolutely. a women's version
0: of the talk? Yeah, absolutely. Because you say you
1: know and it's like, no, actually, we're men. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> don't get no. that. Yeah, Fair
2: <laughs> enough, yeah. Um, I mean, certainly when, certainly when um, girls go through puberty and when they start, you know, socializing and mm. there's all sorts of messages about how you should behave around boys and what's expected of boys. I mean, mm. when I say what's expected of boys, there's not as much expected of boys. Boys are allowed to behave as they will right. and, of course, the whole boys will be boys yeah. right and, So if there's something going on with a boy, they're not necessarily expected to check their behavior unless it is extremely disruptive. Mm -hmm. You know, the girl is expected to behave in such a way as to not draw that attention. Or the assumption is made that attention is going to be paid, and so how do you respond most effectively? Mm -hmm. And I still find this as a grown woman. I mean, recently I found myself in situations where men have said or done inappropriate things. Mm. And I have found myself with the burden of the of, of how to respond. Mm-hmm. Okay, well this is a relationship that I need to maintain for various reasons right. and there is an ex- there's not an expectation that this man is going to understand that what he has said or done is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So now I have to thread this very fine needle. Mm-hmm. How do I respond in a way to let him know that this was not appropriate without totally disrupting the relationship? Because mm-hmm. I cannot rely on the idea that he will get it. Yeah. I have to assume that there's going to be defensiveness or stonewalling or denial because that
0: is typically how that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, the burden, appe- should, it shouldn't have to be, but it's on you. The right. man isn't taking any burden at all. Right. He's just, you know, sort of just flying free. Right. Well,
1: I saw a clip, something similar this week. Um and it was two women on a talk show and they were talking, you know, I guess about just current events, and the black woman started to pretty emphatically make a point. And the white woman was chiming in with yeah, but Mm. and she kept chiming in with yeah but yeah but and so because she was doing yeah but the black woman came back with well you have to understand blah 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 and finally it escalated to the point it just became a more heated discussion to the point where the white woman said well why are you attacking me blah 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 Mm. and the black woman said hold on Mm -hmm. i didn't say you and she said what are you talking about why are you attacking me and, and the clip, it was a very short clip. It ended shortly after that. And I'm reading the article that it was attached to, and it said, had she not stopped her, we would not have even heard the white woman's statement, why are you attacking me? So when you said this about the man, it's the same thing. If you brought mm-hmm. it up, suddenly he would be in the position of, why are you saying that?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had just watched the clip, and I'm like, huh? I had to play it back because I heard the black woman say it. I didn't hear the white woman say it. I totally didn't hear it. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: all of that just comes through and then suddenly you're in this position of how come I'm having to defend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you're the offending right one. right. Yeah. Yes. How did I get put in the position of feeling like I'm offending when right. I'm just trying to Yes, navigate. trying to
2: express myself, trying to actually just get a point across. There is, and it, and it, sometimes it is something as subtle as like, yeah, but yeah, but you need to just put it away. You need to just, bup, 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 bup. and mm-hmm. and if you're not accustomed to doing that because you're a white woman or a white person or mm-hmm. because you're a man, it's this shock to the system.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had I have a podcast earlier. It's the faith podcast. It's a Christian podcast. We talked about foundations and cultures. Sometimes transitioning from one culture to another, and we were talking about Ohio State. We were talking about uh yeah. So this gets into football, ND- NCAA football, and there's a head coach, Urban Meyer. And a lot of these places, the football coach is like a god. Right. They can do all sorts of things. Right. And Urban Meyer had an offensive coordinator who was beating his wife. And the wife left. He stalked her and beat her again. Right. Urban Meyer knew this, but instead of telling the university and firing the coach and doing the appropriate thing, uh-huh. he covered it up. Right. Basically said, well, my wife knew about it because – the victim was texting Urban's wife, but I didn't know anything about it, and of course, no one believes that. How can it's, you? it's all about protecting the university mm-hmm. as opposed of shedding light to what's really, really going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And once again, the burden is on the victim. Well, why didn't you tell the police or whatever? Or right. what did you? You know, yeah. it is a horrible situation. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, this morning I was listening to a podcast. You know how this year is being kind of heralded as, like, the the year of the woman in terms of Mm -hmm. the, you know, 2018. Right, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of women are coming out uh, and and running for office.
3: Right. I know. That's great. Yeah.
2: And there was a podcast I was listening to that talked about this year of the woman that happened back in 1992, Specifically, uh, in the wake of the Anita Hill um, mm-hmm. trial—not right. uh, yeah, the right. trials, the the, the um, congressional the here, hearings. Yeah, Clarence Thomas hearings. Yes. And uh, and so it was the same sort of thing where she was being asked, "Well, why didn't you? Right. Why didn't you say this? Or why didn't you do that? Or why didn't you respond in this way?" And mm-hmm. it and it's it's just. It, I don't know. It's still it's still so jarring to the ear, and yet it mm-hmm. is still so common that yeah. that's the that that's the burden that's placed on the woman, or right. the black person, or the marginalized person to.
1: And why didn't the man in that situation, i.e., the person who, you know, why didn't somebody stand
0: up for her? Yeah.
2: In, in the congressional the men, hearing, yeah, you mean? the men. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Well, the same r- thing. Why they didn't stand up for Ohio State? It's better, you know, when you're in a position of power, you don't want to lose that position of power, or fear that it always I work for the DA's office and it always amazes me how individuals think the best thing to do for our organization is to cover up mm-hmm. instead of exposing what's going on right. Right. when it's the the exact opposite is true well, if it, it was effective it. once upon a time. Well, sure. <laughs>
2: when there was more of a monolithic, super dominant, <laughs> mm-hmm. where you could do that and you could suppress,
0: yeah. a, a, and, and, and you the press regularly did yeah. not
1: report. Oh, we know that JFK mm-hmm. is doing. We are we, not going to talk about that.
0: Oh, sure, yeah, that happened all the time. I mean, you know, Franklin D. Roosevelt, you know, had a, an affair with his uh, yeah. driver, and nobody knew about it. Matter of fact, the day he died, he was died, you know. In her and in her present, they had to shuffle her out mm-hmm. so that Eleanor didn't know anything about it. But now, in this day, everyone is exposed. And you would think after Penn State, after Nixon and right. Watergate, yeah. that people would say, hey, listen, covering up, it will only expose you. Because now it will be like, okay, we know the situation. Now let's talk about the lie and how long you covered it up. Right. And oh. that long exposure is even worse right. a lot of yeah. times than the actual act itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're learning about that now, you know, the whole do you have any thoughts about the whole Panama Manafort and Cohen and everything that's coming I out? I
1: just think I'm amazed at how far the Trump supporters will go to hmm. ignore the mounting evidence. Mm-hmm. There's no collusion, there's no Russian connection. Wait, this man is busted. He's been found guilty by a jury of his peers yeah. of breaking law, including I got to hear um, one of the jurors, mm-hmm. Trump supporter. Mm. Um, she said couple things. One is that eleven of the jurors walked into that room ready to find him guilty on all counts. Eleven. Mm-hmm. She didn't say that she was the one holdout. She said of the eight counts of guilty that they got, yeah, the evidence was so irrefutable that she, as a Trump, she is still a Trump supporter, mm-hmm. that she believes. That she had to vote guilty. She yep. had no choice yep. but to okay. find him guilty. Yeah, and for them to ki- and that includes these connections to Russia. So the guy you put in charge of your mm-hmm. campaign is is a Russian agent. He forgot to um, to to sign up as a foreign mm-hmm. agent mm-hmm. because of his business dealings with Russia. No connections. I, I'm just that's the thing that. Mm-hmm. Most mystifies me as like, I'm like, how many dots will we have to connect
0: before you guys will finally admit, mm-hmm. yeah, what's going on? It's it's fascinating, and I was reading about uh, this whole um, impeachment. Mm-hmm. So Trump can impeach some um, impeachment, but also uh, pardoning. That's that's what right. I meant. Mm-hmm. Well, there's pardoning, there's also impeachment, but pardoning. So Trump can pardon someone if they've been convicted of a federal, federal. crime, right. but not the state, state crime. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I read an article that talked about Leona Helmsley. So in New York, oh, yeah. Leona Helmsley was convicted of – I forget what she did. She was the queen of means. Yes. It was into the real 80s. Estate. It was real estate yeah. fraud. Right. And I think she was exonerated for a couple of crimes. And so the prosecutors were like, okay, well, I'll tell you what. We'll prosecute her on the state level for these crimes. Right. But there is at the time a double jeopardy uh, rule that right. said that you cannot – retry someone mm-hmm. for the same crime right. on the state level, if they're both bundled, then that's it. Mm. Right. You've, you've bit the apple, that's it. Right. Because they were so pissed off that Leon Helmsley got off and didn't spend any uh, time mm-hmm. in jail, I think, that in 2011, <clears throat> they debundled it. They basically says, okay, oh. yes, you can prosecute. Now, how does that apply to Paul Manafort? Of those that... He, so he got convicted of eight. Right. There's still 18... That he got off. Ten. Then he ten. Got ten. off. Ten. Ten. Thank you. He can be reprosecuted on the state level for those huh. uh, those, uh, those, uh, ten. those those ten, and Trump can't do anything about right. it. Mm. So they still have something dangling over him. Right. That's a fascinating thing. Mm. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. What are the Republicans going to do? You know, the Republicans are like, you know, they're still – but I think it's going to affect the uh, midterm elections. Mm-hmm. It seems so, like it. So if, if this Congress won't do anything mm-hmm. because they're still it, – it's just amazing how – they they just I don't know if they don't care or you don't get the same feeling that they did in 1974 when Nixon you know there mm-hmm. was no problem that the Republicans were like hey you know you're guilty and mm-hmm. we're going to go through this thing but it's just amazing the 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 collusion I don't even know what to call it mm-hmm. just this um, we don't care or we know what he did but we just don't care I mean what I do you think Carrie I
2: think it speaks to the I don't know. I think about the insulated world that they exist in. I yeah. have no idea mm-hmm. what it's like to mm-hmm. be inside the beltway, but I think about what
1: You mean the place where you have to go to show your ID when you go to the grocery store?
2: Do you <laughs> have to do that? According to <laughs> Trump. According <laughs> to Trump,
1: yes. Oh god, Which I didn't is crazy. Hear that.
2: Oh for heaven's sake.
1: <laughs> you can't get milk without showing your
2: ID.
0: Oh God's sake. That's what he told a rally. Yes.
2: <laughs> uh, I try I do my best to not so actually like say the word. I bought my
0: milk that's in my uh, icebox right now. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Karen. Um, hey. I, ID.
2: I I I think so much gets wrapped up in what it is we try to do. I think I'm like as humans, we have a goal, we have an aim, there are things that are important to us and when those come under threat, we circle the wagons. Yeah, mm-hmm. And when we're talking about a generation long uh, a plan, you know, that is uh, to to get this party in power, to have all of the levers of power at their disposal. Right. We're talking incredible <sighs> legacy from like the late seventies through right. and now, yeah. and so when that is what's at stake, I can only imagine the kind of pressure to keep that mm-hmm. completely together, to keep that at wraps. You don't want to be the guy or the couple of guys mm-hmm. that are the linchpin that pulls everything apart, right? I I just can't even imagine that pressure. So I think about that. It's not just about this one person. It's not just about Trump. It's about Mm -hmm. this entire scheme that's been playing out over a generation and a half now.
0: Oh, yeah. It's 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 amazing. You talk about this this generation. I mean, it's if. Why would anyone think that Trump represents the Republican Party? He doesn't have to. You know, when they got rid of Nixon. Mm-hmm. The Republican Party still remained. I mean, right. Jimmy Carter came in, but immediately after that was Reagan. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And the Republican Party rolled on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that there could be you know, someone like a Ted Cruz or someone to say, oh, listen, oh. let's oh. get rid of Trump and let's restore the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, but I can recognize that there's some good Republicans. We're about to lose one uh, right now. There's uh, John McCain. Right. Who, uh, who's oh, on,
1: yes. Uh,
0: yeah. He's he's refused uh, care right. for he's his cancer. Treated. Right. And I'm going to miss him. Uh, my my sister Nikki had posted a uh, a clip where he's at a um, a campaign, and uh, you know, and in his campaign he's running against um, Barack Obama, right? And in his campaign, uh, you know, someone's like, "Well, you know, uh, Obama is a yeah, uh, terrorist, but a Muslim, and, yeah, and a Muslim." And McCain was like, "No, he's not. Right, he stopped him."
2: What was interesting, though, about McCain, the next thing that he said was, "No, ma'am, no, he is not. He's a good person." Yeah, right. which suggested that. Being called a Muslim was, right. was you know, the same oh, as being called a bad oh, person. Yeah, so yeah. so while he did stop her because he understood what she was saying, mm-hmm. there was also still this underlying, yeah. a- and that may sound kind of overly critical of McCain, but I think it reveals mm-hmm. yeah. the equivalence <clears> that <throat> oh, yeah. is in a lot of people's minds, of course. Yeah. Right. yeah.
0: No, I mean, it, I'm not here to praise, you know, McCain, because if I remember, Arizona was the last state to recognize Martin Luther King Jr. as a as oh, national okay. holiday, yeah. and McCain uh, was a senator at the time. It. Yeah,
1: they fought it pretty hard. And
0: uh, so I'm not going to let yes. him off the hook, but he was That's a man's dying, and yeah. you yeah. know
1: he's he has for whatever reason he mm-hmm. has tried to serve his country. Yes, for a long time.
2: Yeah, and he's representing a part of the Republican Party that is also being choked off oh, uh, yeah. of people who can be more principled and actually listen and have, um, you know, rational debate and discussions. And so, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, Mm we'll, we'll edit that out, (laughs) but yeah, you know, you know, I talked about it beforehand, but there was a time where there was a moderate Republican party, you know, the Mm -hmm. Rockefeller Republicans who are not racist. It wasn't about God guns and gays. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was about fiscal being fiscally responsible. And although I didn't agree, I don't agree with a lot of that, but you could still have rational discussions. (laughs) You know the Bob Dole's and the um, I don't know the other folks. I could just you know go on mm-hmm. and on. You know presidents like Eisenhower. Eisenhower was a fan, was a good president. and I think he you know warned people about the military industrial complex, and he served his country and, but he believed in um, fiscal responsibility and he cared for this country. I, I can't say that about Trump. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. I think you know the extremes are sort of taking over, mm-hmm. and it's a bit scary. But I think it's I think personally I think it's temporary.
1: Well, it's – what's happened this week is exciting because it isn't mm-hmm. just him. It's also the Michael Cohen. That's and right. And all these other people in the last couple of days yep. who are suddenly getting mm-hmm. immunity. And, it's like, and everybody's pointing out and saying, if they're getting immunity, it's not because anybody cares about them testifying against Cohen.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So – So with that, let's jump into an origin story. We have Carrie Ann Roscoe, uh, actress, um, singer – you're also a psycho, a psychiatrist?
2: Psychotherapist.
0: Psychotherapist.
2: There are these fine gradations depending <laughs> on <laughs> what degree
0: you have. I, I mean was asking a friend of mine, yeah. what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? And she says one can give prescriptions, one can't. About right, $100 yes. an hour. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Is that right? Like, right. And yeah.
2: psychologist are folks, psychologists are folks who have doctorates, whereas psychotherapists have masters. And mm-hmm. so there are also just these... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These other differences, but they're yeah. in terms of what we do clinically. They're mm-hmm. the psychologists, psychotherapists are are quite the same. Yeah,
0: mm. no, that's fantastic, and we're glad to have you. And uh, you know, you're you know, you have a great presence on stage, and just want to give you a compliment for oh. that. You know, you're just Thank you. just uh, awesome. And uh, we had, a, I think we had a wonderful. What was your experience working with the uh, the playwrights? Playwright
2: I really enjoy working with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they've actually been my first. Um, kind of step into non-musical theater. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the last the last non-musical piece of theater I did was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> so everything that I've done I since, never would have guessed that. Yeah, since yeah. high school. I mean, and that was late high school. I didn't start singing until quite late. Oh. Huh. Um, and so it's always been opera or a little bit of musical theater. And, and through musical theater, especially through Gilbert and Sullivan, with such great text and such great dialogue, mm-hmm. I, I learned how to develop character just by doing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I got sort of a feeling that maybe I wanted to do something that was beyond just mm-hmm. musical theater and opera. And so a, f- a friend of mine who you may have worked with, uh, he also does some work with PCSF. His name is Wayne Wong. Um, Ooh,
0: he's I've heard the name. Yeah,
2: he's a baritone. He's yeah. an operatic baritone as well. And he, um, he alerted me to um, the auditions for the developmental readings. And so I jumped in and. It's been great. I, I find it to be a really lovely environment. People are really encouraging. The playwrights are really supportive, mm-hmm. and it, I find it to be pretty low pressure. Yeah. Um. You know, everybody is really grateful for you know you coming in and giving mm-hmm. life to their work, and I you know it's really it feels really good.
0: Yeah. You know we've had um we've had Bridgette Portman and we also <laughs> have had um Lisa Kong, on, and they they've been very very helpful. I mean they've been very very. Grateful for the actors mm-hmm. to, uh, to just breathe the breath of life into their works. And, um, yeah, I found it to be fun as well. Uh, did you, were you raised here? Do, are you a native of the Bay? No,
2: I'm not. I've been in the Bay since 2000. Okay. Yeah. I was raised outside Chicago. Wow. Um, and I lived there mm-hmm. and went to um, school down in Central Illinois, University of Illinois, okay. in Champaign-Urbana. And then I went to Boston to get my master's at the New England Conservatory of Music. Nice. And uh, lived there for a little while and then came here.
0: Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, now, close to, uh, I'm thinking, uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan, or what part of Michigan? You said close to Chicago.
2: Outside of Chicago. Okay. Right, so actually the southwest suburbs of Chicago. If okay, okay,
0: you, you, it's Chicago, got Yeah, it. if
2: you've ever been, it's like L.A., the, the suburbs go on forever. <laughs> it's just you drive an hour and a half, yeah. two hours, and you're still in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I grew up <laughs> about 20 minutes outside of the city Yeah. Um, in a town called Stickney, Oh nice. Which is not far from Cicero, which has, you know, is kind of um infamous for a couple of different things. Um Al Capone used to have some of his uh, um bars out there yeah. in the day and uh also Cicero is um kind of ground zero for um redlining in, in oh. the area. Uh-huh. Mm. So, um, you know, kind of kind
0: of notorious for that as well. Oh. So I grew up near You're there. Curious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I went to Chicago in 2007. It's a beautiful city. Of course, Mm -hmm. I was in Chicago, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so I didn't grow up in the suburbs or whatever. I was Uh, there last year. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah,
2: Yeah. it is. It's a beautiful city.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you have siblings, right?
2: I do. I have one older sister. Okay. Yeah, she lives out in Denver. Yeah. Is she she also involved? She does not. She studied piano when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. I don't really uh, I mean a couple of cousins studied music mm-hmm. um but no professional musicians in my mm-hmm. family mm-hmm. really to speak of. Mm-hmm. Um so no she doesn't perform. She is an artist though. She she does stained glass and she's a mm. sh- um nice degree in graphic design Mm -hmm. so there's an artist streak in our family regardless
0: Mm -hmm. nice Uh, what do your parents do or did I'm sure they're retired
2: my mom is retired she still lives um, outside Chicago she worked for many years actually working for Bacardi Working for one of yeah. their vice presidents, <laughs> as uh, as the uh, executive secretary to one of the vice presidents. My father is deceased. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked for Sears for many many years. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. One of these guys who got into computers when they would fill an entire oh. room. Uh-huh. Oh, oh right. nice. Yes. And so he did that Early for many as a computer, years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and then through the end of his career, he would do like um, support and that sort of thing after oh. he left
0: Sears. Yeah. Sears is a dying thing. I mean, I, I think is. Sears is just closing down. It's one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they can figure out some new thing, they, they need to evolve. No. Yeah, that and a lot of other companies. What got you involved in music? What what was it about music that, I don't know, that's driven you?
2: Yeah. Oh, um, well, I studied guitar for a little while when I was growing up. Um, that was a little bit short-lived. But in, as far as singing goes, I needed a creative arts credit to graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was, like, into physics, Like, Mm. I was going to go into physics. I didn't know what kind of, if it was going to be education Mm -hmm. or applied. But um, I needed a creative arts credit to graduate from high school. And Mm -hmm. so I um, auditioned for the choir. And my high school had um, a really strong music program. Mm -hmm. And so I got into their treble choir. And um, I remember the day we did voice testing. You know, we were each taken into a room. And the choir director would test, you know, to see what what range we were in. Mm -hmm. And I remember the look on his face of just this kind of, like, Who is this girl? Mm -hmm. And I had no idea why. I was just kind of singing whatever I was singing. He was just doing scales. And over the course of that year, I just kind of blossomed. And and by the end of the year, I um, was in the musical, Mm -hmm. which was Sound of Music. And I played Liesl, which Mm -hmm. was a dream come true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, in my family, when Sound of Music would come on TV, Uh you know, on on network TV, TV. Ugh, we would just gather and watch them. Oh of course back, oh back in the day yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, I I conducted a piece on the spring concert and mm-hmm. hmm. um, and from there I I when I went to University of Illinois I was an education major mm-hmm. but I decided during registration that I didn't want to do that, that I needed to be in the School of Music.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: I flagged down the proctor, and I was like, I need to be elsewhere. And she, so she got so frustrated with me, she kicked me out, and she was like, fine, go to the School of Music, get out of here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was allowed to register there, and I auditioned after that, and it was really just one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept expecting people to be like, okay, yeah, thank you, bye-bye. Right. It was, I just did not, mm-hmm. I was in remedial theory. You know, I just had no clue. <laughs> and... Um, it just kept it just kept working. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, of course, I had disappointments and, and um, you know, setbacks, but... Um, oh, like what? Like what? Well, I, when I auditioned to be... Uh, so I was in the School of, of Music as mm-hmm. an education major, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be in performance. Mm-hmm. And so I did the audition for that. Mm-hmm. And I thought for sure that I was going to get in, but I did not. Hmm. And so I studied with a faculty member over the summer and was eventually admitted. But I was so crushed. Uh-huh. I was so crushed. Or when Bet I you aud- didn't stop I didn't stop, yeah. no, no, i I mean, I was getting enough encouragement mm-hmm. that I felt like I could still keep going, mm-hmm. but like when I started auditioning for grad schools, um I did not get into the grad school at my alma mater mm-hmm. um, which was a complete shock to me, uh-huh. and to this day, I think it was pretty political, which was odd,
1: no doubt, yeah,
2: yeah, so uh, but I just kept following my nose mm-hmm. and found myself at this incredible conservatory and uh yeah, among among people who had been studying music since they were three, four mm-hmm. years old, it was such a head trip. I was like, "What? What am I doing here?" <laughs> no, that's fantastic. That's a wonderful. St- it's a
0: wonderful story. Yeah. What brought you to the Bay?
2: Uh, what brought me to the Bay was a relationship. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which then wound up not lasting, um, but I decided to stay. That happens. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I loved it from the moment I crossed the oh. the mm-hmm. border, mm-hmm. <laughs> the state border, the state line. Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, you and I came to into the bay because I came into the bay in 1997, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to. And you came in 2000, mm-hmm. and it was right around that time. It was an interesting time. I think it was Willie Brown. Um, I'm not sure how long he had been mayor, but San Francisco was changing. It was sort of building up. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Moscone Center had been built up as Moscone was
1: there. Moscone well, Center was there. It might yeah. have been in an, an expansion phase, which it keeps right. doing. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Like, right. Pac Bell Park wasn't there.
1: Pac Bell Park was not there. He, yeah. that was his, that, oh, yeah, that mm. man.
0: But it just seemed like, you know, the, the city was there slowly was transforming <laughs> into what it is now. And it was sort of an idyllic time where uh, you could sort of, I didn't even realize there was theater mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. Right. And then huh. all of a sudden I'm involved in things and I'm doing right. like the Fringe Festival or whatever. But that's my experience. What was your experience uh, coming in? I lived in Marin for the first
2: four years of my time in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. um, and so I wasn't knee deep in theater mm-hmm. quite, quite off the bat. Mm-hmm. But what I found coming from the East Coast is that people on the West Coast in Classical Voice were so friendly. You know, in Boston, it's so close to New York, so right. it's very saturated with singers. You've got uh, Boston University and a bunch of liberal arts schools that are churning out singers, mm-hmm. and and there's not as many opportunities, or at least there weren't back in the mid '90s sure. when I was there. And when I came here, people are opening their address books and giving me contact names. And Mm -hmm. before I knew Mm -hmm. it, I was having a coaching with somebody on faculty at the SF Opera. Mm -hmm. And so I found it to be really lovely um, when I eventually started to get involved. People were were not grabby. No one was rude. It was a very supportive place. Mm. And I was really impressed by how many small companies there were and community companies, even for opera, which felt Mm -hmm. a little bit more out of reach. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, it was so refreshing, mm-hmm. and and uh, some of those companies have since, um, you know, folded unfortunately. But mm-hmm. when I first started getting involved, it was really, it was really lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's fantastic. We've had a couple of singers uh, on uh, the yay. Um, basically, a lot of the folks that I've worked with when we did Candide, mm. um, and uh, they've talked about how. They, you know, there's so many opportunities like uh, working with, there's a guy named Dave Moschler uh-huh. who has the orchestra. Do you know Dave? I
2: do. I've worked with him before. Yeah.
0: Dave is fantastic. And I'm like, wow, there's an, or- there's a, like a group of, it's almost like um, a session group of singers, but, but there there's an orchestra mm-hmm. he has his own orchestra and mm-hmm. you can work with that and that's a resource you can use. If wow. Um, so, you know, that's fantastic. Um, so how did you, what made you get involved with, I guess, n- not in other words, something something told you, hey let's let me get involved in the playwright Center mm. and get involved in acting
2: mm-hmm.
0: because you could have just said, well, that's acting, that's not singing, so forget about that right um, yeah, I think it's probably a combination of things.
2: Um, i I was getting such a positive response to my acting in these other mm-hmm. ways again through um, working on light opera and musical theater that I just got more excited about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. And I I hate to say it, but there is, um, the acting in opera can be so terrible. It can so terrible. And I don't mean to disparage any of my (coughs) colleagues, because I will say...
1: It's a very different style of performance. It's
2: a style of performance. I think it's also just been allowed to grow up that way. Opera singing is is such a challenging and demanding discipline, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're... Attending to so many things that are happening, you're right. singing this incredibly difficult stuff. It's it, you know the technical mm-hmm. stu- demands are really high, uh, but it's it, but it's frustrating when that is completely just does not express something emotionally when it mm-hmm. doesn't communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I was not as excited by the dramatic possibilities in opera which sounds terrible because you have this incredible music Mm -hmm. but so much of the focus is on the music and less so about the 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 communication and the emotion certainly as we go along i think opera singers are being challenged to do that i think a lot of people are rising to that challenge Mm -hmm. but i remember doing a a production up at cinnabar theater in petaluma and it was an opera and working with a a straight play director who Mm -hmm. it was like when we weren't talking different languages, but there were definitely accommodations that needed to be made because mm-hmm. the expectations were very different. Oh yeah yeah.
3: Um,
2: so I think I just felt much more excited about doing something that had that kind of um, expressivity and mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. i i wasn't I, I wasn't concerned about the technical stuff. I could just mm-hmm. be a little bit more um, present to the the words. I mean mm-hmm. even as an opera singer. I'm always I've always been more drawn to repertoire that has something relevant to say. i
3: mm-hmm.
2: I've never I've I've never uh, been really fully drawn to pieces that are so repetitive. Like uh-huh. like baroque opera for example. Right. It's all about the vocal fireworks, but it's mm-hmm. the same two verses for, like, six minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've, n- I've, I've never really been drawn to that. Yeah. I think because there isn't the kind of content that I, I, I want to get into. Yeah. My
1: voice teacher loves opera. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, did a non-singing role, and then I did a chorus role with her. And she asked me about directing. Mm. And I said, I, I just can't, because we did... Um, Oh, God. um, uh, What is it? um, Montecchi Capuletti? Montecchi? Montecchi and Capuletti. I'm watching what I think of as acting, and oh, my God, I just want to cringe. I just want to crawl in a corner and die. And I'm like, these people are so into this. And the guy who was playing, I think he was playing Capulet, um the father, you know, mm-hmm. he's got this gorgeous baritone, mm-hmm. wonderful and he's having such a good time playing the role and it's just over the top, wacky. Mm-hmm. I mean he is they're even pulling him back just a little bit because he is so <laughs> prone to get to the wacky of it. But that's fits in the world of you know, it's mm-hmm. all broad gestures. It's all broad gestures mm-hmm. and broad strokes. And I'm going to step downstage because this is my chance to do my piece. So Even though what I'm actually saying is I'm dearly in love with you and I hope you won't leave me, I'm actually going to physically turn away from you and face out to the audience to have this moment. And I'm like, oh, no. I said I couldn't couldn't possibly direct this Mm. because I don't understand what the conventions are Mm -hmm. of opera. And I would be frustrating a whole cast of people trying to get them to do what I think should be happening.
2: And I think that's very real. I mean, um, a friend of mine was, she directed a, a lamplighter show, <coughs> having having done a lot of directing in other contexts, mm-hmm. and she had to learn, oh, 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 opera singers expect that you're going to give them the map of the stage. Mm-hmm. Now you walk over here, and then you walk over here, mm-hmm. and other types of actors are not into that. That, right. that feels... Too constraining or insulting, even. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas as an opera singer, we're like, can you please just tell me where to go right. so I can go and stand there and <laughs> sing my damn piece? Exactly. And there's just the motivation you know, to twi- why. Yeah, yeah. And, and so then, I mean, obviously you want to have some motivation, <laughs> but like, please please give me my, my traffic pattern so I can really? just fit
0: that in. Yeah, yeah. right. It's funny w- when I did Candide, and we had Jacob Bronson, who was also in Candide, and he talked a little bit about this, about working with opera singers who don't act mm-hmm. and then working with actors who are not into opera, they sing, but, you know, they don't have the same structure. And it's fascinating how people, and during the rehearsals of Candide, it was interesting how people like me, you know, I'm focusing on motivation mm-hmm. and why am I doing this and what's my beat and objectives and all that sort right. of stuff. Even if I'm doing something that I know is purely in an operatic sense. I mean, I played Vander Dinder and I'm basically just singing, you know, I'm just a part of a little story, a part of a bigger story of mm-hmm. Candide and his travails going right. here to here to here to here. Right. I'm just a little part of it. But still I'm gonna I need, you know, what is my motivation to go here and here and here? Right. And it was fascinating watching singers and they're just doing it and I'm wondering, okay, is there something connecting you with like there was this one singer who is singing a song about being disconnected from her lover, you know, they're not mm-hmm. gonna be lovers right. anymore. And I'm sure there's got to be something emotional. And I didn't quite see it. And I'm like, well, she's a fantastic singer, but she doesn't have the emotional connection. And that's always fascinated me. Yeah.
2: I think there's something about what the audience demands as well. I'm thinking it about is. like the golden yeah. age of opera and mm-hmm. you know the 40s and 50s where people wanted to hear the voice. Yeah. That was what they came for. Right. And so it all grew up around that. Mm-hmm. And so you accommodate because if you're getting the response from – what we call parking and barking, uh, where you just like stand in place <laughs> and do uh-huh. your thing. Okay. Uh, I love that phrase. Yeah. Or, or if you, you know, it, people are not necessarily concerned about the relationship between the soprano and the tenor in this moment. They yeah. want to hear the soprano's beautiful, floaty, high C. Right. Yeah. And so, so you you kind of adjust to that because it's yeah. what it's what people want to
0: hear. It's interesting you mentioned uh, singing during that time because I think Sonheim came maybe it, not in the 40s but certainly 70s. in the 50s well 60s. well i mean west yeah. Side, yeah. Story. side story west side story that was sort of i mean that i don't know if that was in the the 60s or whatever and i'm sure he did some work before but yeah. there, you yeah. know there, you get a, a sense of a connection of emotional content yeah. along with singing and although it's not opera there is a sort of a uh, operatic you know well uh, it's, connection a, it's a muscular
1: singing yeah yeah
0: and um, I think, you know, you, the, I think the audience, when you talk about Carrie, what the audience is expecting, I think the audience's expectations, you know, as we get later into, you know, uh, into the 60s mm-hmm. is is more. Like we want mm-hmm. an emotional mm-hmm. connection.
2: And I think that's true. And, and uh, again, I, you know, the trends in opera are more and more towards having life in your singing. Mm -hmm. And especially in small theaters where you are not on a giant stage, Mm -hmm. where you are quite intimate with the audience, you really have to do that. So I I do think that there are pushes in opera, and new composers are definitely concerned about this and want to write things that are relevant, but you do have kind of like the behemoth of standard repertoire mm, sure. and of older audiences mm-hmm. who are accustomed to a certain thing and sure, so yeah. it can be hard to push against that yeah. but yeah i would agree that you know once you started getting a little bit more in the last portion of the 20th century people mm-hmm. were were becoming more concerned about well what are we singing about here <laughs> and you know <laughs> right. younger audiences who <laughs> did not know the repertoire or could not hear it in italian and know what, what mm-hmm. was what was being said yeah mm-hmm. there the the demand started and to I change and i do wonder
0: how the age of rock and roll which comes in that time how it affects one way or another. It may not affect it at all. Uh, that as well.
1: I, don't, I think they're just stylistic. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean that was that was my take. I was like, I'm not going to try and make opera do what I think it should do. I should learn what opera does, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then if I want to b- bring some modern take on it,
3: mm-hmm. you
1: know, I mm-hmm. mean that's always been my thing. I love breaking rules. But you have to understand what the rules are before you start trying to break them. Sure, you right. have to
2: get the paradigm first. Because, yeah, I think there, I think opera could stand even more disruption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I hear the respect that you have for the art form where you're going to you know, understand it first before you start yeah. tweaking things. Well,
1: I, I love Shakespeare, and it's the thing that drives – and I cut Shakespeare like no problem. Like I actually pulled up a script this morning, and I was so happy to find it so I can start doing cuts because I've already – what I do is I get just a cheap copy of the script, and I go through, and I just mark it up. So that I have a visual because it's it's funny, it's so Chester Himes. Mm-hmm. I just need to know what the length is that yep. I need. Yep. What's the length? So first thing I do is I go through and just make all the cuts I think I can make reasonably and keep the story intact. And then I count how many pages I've got and decide how many more cuts I need to make. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and so I'm looking forward to that. But I do it I've started doing it because I read other people's cuts of the show and what was clear was sometimes they just don't understand. What the mechanism of the play is, so they're cutting something, and they may be cutting the heart out of a character because it's a stylistic thing, and you need to allow for that. Mm. You know, there needs to be a setup. There needs to be certain things that are put in place to make this work, <laughs> um, or it's a st- it's a type of joke that needs a certain kind of setup. So again, you can't mm-hmm. cut it. Yeah, you need to you need to give it. You either need to make space for it, mm-hmm. or you need to lose the whole thing. But if you cut half of it, then you've just got these clunky characters. Yeah, And so I've always hated that. So I started doing it myself, and I'm like, (laughs) oh, I love my scripts. People seem to respond well to my scripts. And I understand and appreciate Shakespeare. I love the mechanisms Mm. of Shakespeare. But I also know that, for instance, um, when Morris dancing was a popular thing, Shakespeare included it in scripts because he had the opportunity to get a famous troupe and put it in the play. So he did. And so he writes scenes to justify having them in. And huh. they eventually become, they help to move the story along eventually. But there are like three scenes with these guys. And that's there mostly to feature these guys. Mm-hmm. So I did a cutting of that script once. It's uh, Two Noble Kinsmen. And I did a cutting of it once where... Uh, The most important character, one of the most important characters, most memorable characters in the play is the jailer's daughter. She doesn't even have a name. But what she does have is four magnificent monologues (coughs) that are her descent into madness. Mm. And you need most of that for it to make sense. Mm. So you somehow have to justify these dancer guys because that's how she ends up in the woods and that's how she fully loses her mind. Mm. And you see that descent into madness. And then this group of traveling dancers finds her, brings her back to the city, and she is reunited with family. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have that if you don't have the dancers. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you don't have that, then you lose one of the major parts of this. Uh, this is a major mm. part of the script. It's a major thread. hmm I'm like, I, I understand. You could say, okay, we're going to cast this and not use that. We're going to get rid of all of that, and there's a way to do that. Mm-hmm. But if I were cutting the script otherwise, I would be cutting with a sense of I have to figure out how much of this I need to keep so that I can justify this
0: storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you have to have an understanding of what the story is before you can cut it. Yeah. To know, you know, I mean, there's certain things that should be cut because let's say this repetitive, but you have to yeah. have a nuance, a, an understanding of what the nuance of the script is right. mm-hmm. to know what to cut and what not to cut. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of an article that I posted earlier this mm-hmm. week about theater Shakespeare theater companies all across the United States having to make adjustments in this new age mm-hmm. where a lot of folks just aren't coming to Shakespeare shows. Yeah, are you? The, do fad, you like is, the yeah, fad is, mm-hmm. oh, yay, yeah. it, it's time to move
1: And I love Shakespeare. Yeah. But still, I I have no desire to see another production of Midsummer Night's Dream. (laughs) None. Um, And I think it's like one of his most perfect plays. I've seen it. I've done it. I, no. You don't need any more of it. Yeah. There are so many other stories that you could do. Yes. You could even do other stories that are Mm -hmm. inspired by it, based on it, um, have
0: some similarities to it, but why... Why just keep beating on the same tired story? Yeah. yeah. I wanted to give you a compliment, Carrie Ann, because, you know, when you told me that this is your first time doing drama, when you did the uh, the Playwright Play Center thing, there. because in the script, you know, you have to, there's a, there's a, um, I'm thinking about cold reads. When you take a script, mm. you know, there's art, I, I'm not to say this is an art form, but there's a technique, there's a way in which mm-hmm. you take a script you sort of have to read it as fast as possible mm-hmm. and then act with the script in your hands mm-hmm. and usually it takes a while i don't think I think it took me a while for me to get used to it mm-hmm. and you adapted to it really really quickly Thank you um, just natural ways of of handling things on stage I mean is that something that you just picked up um, i
2: th- I think i I think there was a way in which I'm, I'm, I think when I was a kid i was i wouldn't say theatrical but mm-hmm. but but um my family are a bunch of uh, like a sense of humor, sarcastic. Oh, nice! You know, um, sounds like a fun family. Yeah, <laughs> in ways, yes. <laughs> but so I think there was a way in which we kind of used these, you know, little bits of humor, and 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 um, my sister and I will will. I mean, our inside jokes go on forever and ever. Mm-hmm. I think there was a way in which we kind of would would perform for each other a little bit, just uh-huh. as a way of relating to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I I I just I again I think. I think getting getting a lot of um, work in dialogue with a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan and some mm-hmm. musical theater, but no, I I am not really sure where it came from. I don't mean to sound you know obtuse, but mm-hmm. I remember b- being in grad school and auditioning for um, a young artist program that also included some mm-hmm. um, some dialogue, and mm-hmm. I did not know what I was doing, mm-hmm. and I just I just kind of rolled it out, and and it seemed to impress them. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah, that I, could be a good way to do it. Yeah. It honestly can.
2: Uh, you know I remember doing some cold reads with p c s f and in fact, I went to see my friend Wayne in a cold in a, in a mm-hmm. developmental reading right. and um one of the actors didn't show up mm-hmm. and so I was asked I had already done a developmental reading, and so um they were familiar with me and I walk in the door and they grab me and say, "You know can you?" Somebody didn't show up. Can you do a cold read? Okay, sure. And so right. I did it a full-length play of a, a pretty substantial part. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of I just kind of did it. It just felt like, oh, this is what's happening and I understand right. this mm-hmm. character and and here we go. Yeah. Um every now and again, I think about taking an actual acting class. No. No. <laughs> Why is that?
1: I I think I think there are a whole lot of people who try to tell you what they think you should do or how you should approach it. Mm. Um, but the fact is, most—I think—most of the best casting comes from somebody just kind of going, "How well do you do with this role? You seem to do well with it. Great. And how well do we communicate? If we communicate well enough, and I can get some adjustments out of you, mm. the rest of it is meaningless. I could mm. care less if you never mark a certain beat. Mm. Yeah. Um, which is another subject I want to touch on. But
0: yeah, no, I think you know we've had a bunch of uh, and it's something that I've always asked folks who have been on the mm-hmm. uh, podcast whether you learn more from school or did you learn just from uh-huh. life in general. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And doing, it's yeah. been I, I think the vast majority have learned more from life itself. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I took some techniques. I think uh, there was one I forget who it was who said. You know, a lot of what you learn from school is unlearning, you know, your bad habits or fixing things that you need fixing Mm -hmm. if you need fixing. Right. Um, So I think, you know, like when I learned, I went to NYU Mm -hmm. for undergraduate drama and I learned some techniques. There were some techniques that were introduced that I sort of just pushed aside because mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't make sense to me. It was right. like a smorgasbord, right? Or like you know, you go to I think they call it the smorgasbord where mm-hmm. yeah. it's like all you need buffet. buffet thing, yeah, yeah. And there's well, that there's, is smorgasbord, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, And you know, there are things you you know you're not going to eat the whole thing, right? You're, you're just going to eat you know, <laughs> <laughs> You'd be but
3: there you, a while. But
0: you take what's what <laughs> makes sense to you, right? Yeah. And I think that that uh, you know that's. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Do you need to know beats? Do you need to know objectives or whatever? If you have that naturally, instinctively, I think, right. that you know, there's no need to go to a class. Yeah. But if you if you figure out that, let's say you're working with someone and they are using some techniques mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, that's interesting. specific
1: techniques. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things like I'm, I'm fascinated with Moliere. I won't take a class because I just I mm-hmm. really have a bias against it. Um, but I am fascinated with something like that, that specific where I go. Maybe. I mean, what I would love is to find somebody who sounds like they understand the style
3: mm-hmm.
1: and work with them. That that would be heaven. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. I figure that I'll, I'll keep plugging along as I've been doing it. If I mm-hmm. hit an obstacle or a barrier mm-hmm. that I can't quite seem to navigate on my own, then,
0: mm-hmm. um, you know, seeking seeking more help yeah. that way. Now, here's a question, because I think technique helps. Is, you know, th- someone's going to give you a script and it's going to be. Wow. This is serious. Like, we were considering you for Ellen, and I know in the script Mm -hmm. in Foreman Ellen, there's a scene where they're just yelling and screaming at each other, Mm -hmm. where, you know, they drop the F-bomb, and it's basically a marriage. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm giving a precursor, but a spoiler, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's a marriage that's deteriorating, and they're arguing based on real issues, like Mm -hmm. uh, money and, hey, what are you doing with yourself? You know, we had a, a, a plan. And it's not going, whatever. Right. But do you see yourself handling, I mean, there are scripts where, you know, you can just deal with it and it's no big deal. But do you want to handle roles which are really, really complicated, mm. if you know what I mean? I, I think those would be the best roles to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> imagine, yeah. If you feel it, you have it within yourself, then yeah, well, that'd be great. Honest- and then you'll find out what technique you need and what what you don't need. Mm-hmm. Sure,
2: sure. Yeah, I mean, I I think about my work as a psychotherapist mm-hmm. and the subtleties and all the nuances and all of the deep understanding of people and humans. And, you know, I, that is, I mean, people are endlessly fascinating to right. me. Yeah. I mean, that's one, that's one thing that, that allows me to do my work is mm-hmm. that. Uh, people are just the most fascinating, beautiful, wonderful puzzles, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and getting getting an understanding of that and seeing seeing how that how that got constructed is just so interesting to me. And mm-hmm. so I find things like that to be a, 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 that sounds like a great challenge to mm-hmm. to, to find the emotional turns in mm-hmm. each you know right. from line to line. That sounds like a great
0: yeah. A great thing I think techniques it. as far as like. One thing we learned is sense memory, you know, Mm -hmm. like let's say if you have to play someone who's angry, unless you don't have it within yourself, Uh, or let's say you're laughing at something which is inappropriate and you don't know why this character is doing this, Mm -hmm. then you can get into something like, you know, and sense memory is going back to, and it deals, I think it deals a lot with psychology or Mm -hmm. or therapy, Mm -hmm. where someone says, hey, go back into your life where it was the saddest moment in your life. Mm -hmm. What was the music that was playing? What was, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what was the scent? What was the color of the air? Or, you know, take a Something, in. yeah, in the yeah. environment, yeah. yeah. Have you ever had to do that, Norman, where sense memory in, exercises? In school? Yeah. <laughs>
1: no, I and mean it's funny. Um, and I do, I, I teach, which cracks me up with the things that I say about teaching. But I try to teach the things that I think are more meaningful, mm-hmm. like knowing, playing to the space that you're in. Yeah, You know, don't come up with an imaginary space figure out how this space is that space mm. You yes. know, create that for yourself mm-hmm. and then everything that you do will resonate with the space that you're in and your audience will feel that they will yeah. sense it yeah. when you are performing in a barn like structure mm. in your mind you mm-hmm. got to figure out how the space that you're in is a barn like structure yeah. and it doesn't matter if it's a park setting but you're in a barn like structure you know the actual physical space mm-hmm. is a barn like structure yeah. if you did um, Zoo Story and it's set on a park bench and you're supposed to to be in a park. Maybe it's that part of the park. Have you been to one of those fascinating parks where the arbor the the hang of the trees mm-hmm. is just so enclosing? Yeah. If you tell yourself that's what you've mm. got around you, if you yeah. feel the space and that's in that way, yeah. Mm-hmm. it becomes real for you. Yeah. Um and that did come out of sense memory work. I mean, mm-hmm. it did, but really more than that it came out of like I did King Lear in the smallest space. <laughs> I, one of the smallest wow. spaces I've ever seen, yeah. like a space literally the size of this room huh. yeah. where these little side walls are the audience. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and we were surra- we had like, like where your bedroom is yeah. would be the audience area. About 10
0: feet, maybe, <laughs> maybe seven feet. No, about <laughs> 10
1: feet. But the rest of this would be audience. Yeah. And, um, he did his, uh, his, uh, he, you know, mm-hmm. scene, mm-hmm. um, on a little wall like right there so there were an audience member sitting within reach of him yeah and he sat there and instead of railing and you know screaming this thing out he did it as this old man who was just broken and just Mm. sputtering right it was it was beautiful Mm -hmm. we had we had all kinds of moments where literally the audience's knee was like right i had a moment where Mm -hmm. i had to hold gloucester down Mm -hmm. and i had to be careful not to bump the audience with my elbow when i got (laughs) down to hold this guy down yeah um Thinking about that play, this huge monster of a play, Mm. in a tiny, tiny space like that, you suddenly realize what you start thinking is, it's a castle. And this is this little room in a castle, or that little room in the castle, and the biggest area of playing space Mm -hmm. is the big bench and the big, you know, hall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You start to own the space in a totally different way. Mm. It's it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: and and I've had to go through that as well. Let's say I'm doing an intimate scene where I'm just speaking with one person, yet there's an audience member here, Mm -hmm. and of course, you want to focus your attention, and I think technique helps you ground yourself Mm. to the scene if you're having trouble Mm -hmm. with being grounded in the scene. Mm -hmm. Luckily, if you have a good enough script... And it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Then you don't need any wor- work at all. It's just you know it's right there, and you mm-hmm. know what your objective is, what you're trying to get out of it. Whether mm-hmm. you achieve that objective or not is is irrelevant. But you that's it's, You know what you want, mm-hmm. and then that grounds you. But I wanted to talk about ty- psychotherapy because I'm mm-hmm. fascinated about mm-hmm. just you know they. I, I've often said it. You know uh, theater theater is therapeutic, but it's not therapy. But there, mm. there is some uh, parallels where you're getting into another character, which mm-hmm. thinks completely different. How does your work, your day work, help you, if at all, with your theater work?
2: Absolutely, it, it absolutely informs mm-hmm. it. Um, I, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about stepping into somebody else's shoes and adopting a character's point of view. And not to not to be reductive about my work with my clients, mm-hmm. but but. The goal in my work as a psychotherapist is to understand the other person mm-hmm. as clearly and as detailed as I possibly can. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, the same thing is true of d- of building a character and of mm-hmm. understanding their experience and of building in that emotional content too. When I sit with a client, um, I can I can actually pick up what's happening in their nervous system, which mm-hmm. sounds kind of freaky, but mm-hmm. but we're built, we are wired right. to do that. Right. And so when I'm sitting very quietly, listening very closely and very deeply to a client, I can actually feel what is happening in their nervous system. It is mm-hmm. it is literally resonating in my body. Mm-hmm. And so there's a way in which that sort of transmission informs how I respond and how I understand them. And, mm-hmm. and a similar sort of thing gets evoked when I'm thinking of another character. If I'm thinking of... Um, you know, if this person were sitting across from me, how would I understand them? What would it feel like to be them? And, mm-hmm. and the little bits of, of acting tips that I've picked up along the way um, can also be very physical. And so, um, mm-hmm. in, in therapy, there can be the, the kind of one of the um, I, I use a lot of different techniques in, mm-hmm. th- in therapy, and some of them are somatically oriented, so they mm-hmm. have to do with posture or movement. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that comes—you know—that comes into play with acting as well. You, what, what does it feel like to that? I notice you're doing this repetitive gesture. Can you just slow oh, that down mm, for a second? Oh, you know, oh just I've notice had a, I've had emotion, a tell me that. <laughs> yeah. What, what 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 emotion comes up when you're doing this? Yeah. You know, and and so you learn to follow it. You s- learn to get very very close to it. Yeah. Um, and then there's also just some cognitive things too. You know, the first time I applied for an internship program when I was a grad student in psychology. I had to write this resume, and I had no other – I mean, I had a little bit of experience, but most of my resume was not related to psychology, and I, understood, I, I realized how many transferable skills there were from theater into psychology, and mm-hmm. some of it is about empathy and, and team – like working in a team – being able to be in present moment experience while still having a track running on another on another level right. of like there's a script that I'm following but I'm right here in the emotional yeah, present moment. Yeah. Same thing with the client. I'm right here with you. But I'm also thinking about your life and I'm right. thinking about what other present presenting issues you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of things I I was surprised to to discover huh. were yeah. were yeah, they feed mm-hmm. off of each other quite a lot.
0: Um I know that um I'm sure in your day work in in psychotherapy, you ask obviously you ask a lot of questions, mm-hmm. and I guess your objective, from what I hear, I, I did take a um, a peer what do they call it a peer counseling class, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. for my job, uh-huh. in, in in the event that any employee you know feels they need to talk and all that sort of uh-huh. stuff, mm-hmm. and what was emphasized was, it's not important that you have the answer; the other person has to have the answer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right, yeah. to get them to come. Whatever that answer may be, uh-huh. right. From a theater perspective, do you find that you have the uh, impulse to ask questions, let's say if there's something you don't Mm -hmm. understand, from the director or from the playwright? Or do you say, well, I've got to find these answers within myself Mm -hmm. and try to put it in the character?
2: I will usually try to find the emotional content for myself. Yeah. And if there's any sort of discrepancy between what I imagine or what I am intuitive what I am intuiting in the character, if there's any discrepancy between that and what the director asks for, then I will ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Or if there's a hole if I'm like, I don't understand why this person says this thing that seems really out of nowhere, what's mm-hmm. going on there? But I will usually start with the emotional content first within myself mm-hmm. and then if there's any lack of clarity or disagreement then I'll mm-hmm. ask a lot
0: of questions. So you're not stuck with the stuff that you don't understand. It doesn't it doesn't stop you? No. <laughs> okay.
2: No. I mean I, I think there are times when I, I, I imagine we all have had the experience of having to just kind of do something that feels counterintuitive because mm-hmm. that's what the the director has asked for, and yeah. and so you do your best. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, yeah. I, I and in fact, you may recall um, in rehearsal during th- one of the rounds of PCSF recently, yeah. where uh, um, I had said to the di- sh- the director had asked, you know, mm-hmm. what should I know about the way you work that will help us work together? Which mm-hmm. I thought was a great. This is uh, this oh. is Radhika Rao. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said I ask questions when I don't when things are not clear. Mm-hmm. And in when I was a voice student, this actually ruffled a lot of voice teachers' feathers. <laughs> uh-huh. <coughs> so yeah. I w- yeah. I, because I was very, um, you know, the, the intellectual cognitive channel is one of my favorite channels. Uh-huh. And before I started singing, that's mm-hmm. where I was all the time. Uh-huh. And so when I didn't understand something, I couldn't replicate it. Mm-hmm. And so is singing, teaching singing can be very image-based. It can sure. be very vague. Mm-hmm. And that didn't really work for me. And so I would ask these questions, and it would just fluster these teachers who yeah. then felt that I was too uppity or, yeah. you know, know you know, insubordinate in some yeah. way. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I do find if I have a question, I will, I will try to pursue it. I'll do so in a way that is, mm-hmm. you know, as respectful as I possibly mm-hmm. can, can. Can that be disruptive,
0: us, Norman, from a director's perspective, when people ask a lot of questions? Or th- can that be a sign of what something's I, not quite I, what right? What I
1: find is if they're asking questions and it feels like other people are similarly curious, then it's a great place for us to go. Mm-hmm. If it feels like this person just needs more attention... Mm. Um, then if I can quickly give them some attention and just sort of make a mental note that I'm gonna need to factor that into what I'm doing. Oh mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, and I'm fine with it if I know up front that's what I'm gonna deal with. Uh-huh. It's frustrating when we're trying to get to the point of let's you know, let's get busy, let's get the work done and right. you suddenly wanna you wanna go off on a moment of you know, reverie about how this is so important or so wonderful. it was like, you know what? I need the audience to feel that. I'm glad you're feeling it. I need you to put it on stage Mm -hmm. so the audience feels it.
2: That's, that's got to be a really, a really delicate line when, when an actor is, is really in it but is kind of eating up a lot of time or taking yeah. up a lot of space. That must be – I imagine that could be difficult to try to handle. Well,
1: you, like I said, I, I start factoring in, well, I need to make time for this so I can yeah. deal with it in another way. Yeah.
2: And
0: I think from an actor's perspective, you have to understand you're being paid to you know focus on your thing but not disrupt the entire rehearsal process. Right. There was right. one rehearsal. I was a stage manager for a show and there was one actor i guess he was a bit of a um, i'm not gonna say a drama queen or whatever but mm-hmm. basically he he sort of liked to to steal focus right mm-hmm. and it was tough cuz Susan Susan Evans who's mm-hmm. been on the show yeah. she had to deal with that individual mm-hmm. not break him right not mm-hmm. you know reprimand him but sort of rein him down yeah yeah and that's got to be tough for a director to keep that that creative energy but still try to keep people focused
1: well and what i'm realizing more and more there are two different things one i think about it as an actor as an actor i feel like it's kind of my job i gotta deal with you (laughs) you know (laughs) on stage we're gonna be on stage together so i gotta deal with you i had a woman play my wife once who was just a little freaky And when I say freaky I am not being euphemistic Sexually freaky Okay, And talked about it all the time And I was like okay um, So in my character's life I'm going to have to factor in the fact That that is who my wife is Because this woman would not stop bringing that To the conversation Mm -hmm. And you know more than a couple of invitations To explore that outside of rehearsal And I'm like
2: That sounds like mm, harassment
1: It was just weird
2: Mm.
1: (laughs) And You know, but again, I felt like it was my job as an actor just to try and deal with it as best I can, as long as it wasn't disrupting the process. And I think it actually brought some real interesting energy to the play. That was great. Mm. Now, as a director, Mm -hmm. I've had those people and I'm just like, you're driving me crazy (laughs) because you're making it my job. And I don't. That isn't my job. What I know as a director is, director and teacher, I had to think about this yesterday, they asked us, one thing that we should know about you as a teacher, and I couldn't come up with the one thing, Hmm. but I realized, and I couldn't codify it, and I realized my one thing is that I walk in the room with a fairly good vision of what I think we're aiming for. I know I'm going to have to adjust it based on what I encounter in the room, um, but I have a pretty good idea of what I think we're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. And if what you're doing seems like it fits within that, or I need to adjust so that, because that seems like an element I missed somehow, that's great. Anything else to me is like, that's your drama, and if I can get it out of the room or get s- find some way to put it on a different track <laughs> so mm-hmm. that it doesn't get us off track, yeah,
0: then that's great, and otherwise it's just going to be my headache. You yeah. know, some, some folks are actors for the wrong reasons. I've brought this up before. Mm-hmm. You know, they, mm-hmm. they just want to, I don't know, be recognized and, you know, just dramatize whatever, on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and off. Huh? And off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a dra- – yeah, but, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. You know, I think actors need to be responsible. Hey, you know, what you're doing has to fit within the play. And you have to listen to the director and, you know, know that you're just – you're a piece to a, you know, a bigger – you know well, to the story. That, that's mm-hmm. a dream world. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> Before we get into cuz we passed the hour mark we're having so uh, much fun. Yeah, um how is how is San Francisco Bay Area Theater treating you? I mean, are you getting what what you want out of it? If that makes sense.
2: I think yeah, it make, it makes sense. I feel like um I mean, so far yes. Mm-hmm. I I um, I feel like I've been able to capitalize on a lot of opportunities I've had. Hmm. Um San Francisco is a city that as a as a classical music, musician or an opera singer, you don't people have day jobs and mm-hmm. that's okay mm-hmm. and that's right. not true in all places mm-hmm. and so in that way, I feel like San Francisco has been supportive, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I have never felt pressured to to abandon everything else for for you know music or mm-hmm. yeah exactly um, I feel like for me personally right now, I am starting to shift a little bit um as evidenced by me pursuing more kind of non-musical theater projects. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious to see what, what other areas of, of Bay area theater are like. Mm -hmm. And so I guess it's kind of an open question right now. I feel like working with PCSF for the past couple few years Mm -hmm. has given me a nice little landing place where I can start to test a little bit. Um, but it'll be interesting to see once I start to branch out a little bit further and a little bit further away mm-hmm. from um, musical theater and, and opera mm-hmm. what what it's like.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be exciting to see you grow. I mean, to see. And, and I find that with every production that I'm in and how a director sees me, a lot of times I don't know how much I've grown as an actor mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. someone says, hey, I want you in this role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In this role I've never had before. And all of a sudden I'm like, Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've expanded. Those Absolutely. Those are wonderful
2: moments. Yeah. I, I had, I mean, after the last round of, of the playoffs with PCSF, mm-hmm. a playwright came up to me and, and said, I'm I'm in the Berkeley Rep Playwrights Workshop. Mm-hmm. I really want you to come and read this role. And it's in however many weeks. And mm-hmm. and I was so, you know, getting responses like that. It's yep. It is that sort of thing where th- I had, I... I show up, I feel like I do a good job, but then somebody comes up and says, I see you doing this, yeah, and uh-huh. it is kind of this revelation of, like, great, that sounds great, mm-hmm. and yeah. it feels like the continuation of my one foot in front of the other, just following yeah. my nose sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. It um, sounds like a good way to do yeah, it. Yeah, so far
2: it's working out. That is an
0: acknowledgement of, of, your, great, of your great work. Oh and thank you. Uh, yeah.
2: That's, uh, that really means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, it's
0: true. Uh Shout outs. Birthdays. Yeah. Some uh, Your birthday's coming <laughs> up. My
2: birthday is coming <laughs> up on Friday. Yeah, August yeah. oh, the 31st. Friday. That's right. Leo, right? Virgo. 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 Oh, Virgo. <laughs> Virgo all the way. <laughs> uh, somebody
1: thought I was a Virgo. I was like, no. no. <laughs> I'm uh, Libra. Uh, uh, oh. uh, birthdays. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Ground, who um, was our equity liaison at one point, and I'm not sure if she has an official role anymore, but she's local actress. Uh, birthdays today. Mm-hmm. Um, birthday's coming up this week Clive Worsley who I just saw yesterday he's an amazing actor, director mm-hmm. um, he's been a theater technician and a teaching artist um, technician I shouldn't say that administrator um, he's, he's fantastic his birthday's Monday mm-hmm. Ellen Sebastian Chang one of the Bay Area's premier directors um, and creates all kinds of community projects she loves doing that she, her birthday's coming up Monday Dave Mayer who is many people know because he's one of the best and busiest fight captains and fight mm. choreographers in the Bay Area. His birthday is Monday. Prince Gomovia. His birthday is coming up later this week. Uh, playwright, local playwright who bounces all over with his plays, which I love. When I see somebody's in Seattle and then in New York, I'm like, ooh, mm. you know, doesn't matter how small the space, you mm-hmm. can, somebody grabbed your show. That's mm. kind of cool. Uh, Nathaniel Justiano. Um, is an amazing performer, um, a little bit of a clown, and I say that and it sounds like I'm saying he's just goofy. Mm-hmm. No, his skills are incredible, um, wonderful. Daryl Ross, okay, birthday is Wednesday, a um, black actor that we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameo Williams is an amazing actor who was in one of the first shows that Oakland Public Theater did, mm-hmm. and I don't know that he's done any theater since. I keep mm-hmm. trying to get mm. him back for stuff, and he yeah. just keeps
0: resisting. Uh, That is it for the week. Speaking of which, what's happening with Daryl Ross? Because I miss him. Um, Daryl, um... Don't know?
1: Well, I know that he's got... uh, Mm -hmm. He does dialysis a couple times a week, so he's got kidney issues. Oh, oh, okay. And Mm -hmm. I bumped into, like, a cousin of his or something a couple of months ago, and they said... That he was actually getting like serious care at this point. And okay, I never. No, he, he's up just and, a great
0: presence. And, too bad. and by the way, Carrie Ann, hmm. you know, uh, I was looking uh, at. Um, I think you know um, Anna Johan. Do yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She's a fantastic singer, fantastic yes, actress, she and is. Um, Small World.
2: <laughs> yeah, And no, we worked together. We did City of Angels together up at the uh-huh. Cinnabar Theater in Petaluma. Three years ago, I think it was. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. She participated in the reading of Four Men in Paris. Oh, she was Ellen. She was Ellen at the table read. Okay, yeah, excellent. She she was fantastic. No, she's she's great. So, um, Patrick Silvestri, uh, he is a um, Philippine uh, writer. Uh, He's worked at Bendelstiff. His birthday is Friday. No, no, it was yesterday. It was yesterday. Um, Today, um, actually, tomorrow. uh, Tina Marzel who was in um, Excuse me, Excuse me. Candy, mm-hmm. uh, she sang um, I Am So Always Assimilated. I, I oh, yeah, the me. old woman. Yeah, the old woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she did a fantastic job. I, ju- I mm-hmm. saw her uh, last week, and uh, her birthday is Sunday. Uh, Monday, Aaron Hinney, who is a fantastic uh, playwright, he uh, worked with Central Works. He did the Mesmeric Revelation, which I'm looking at the poster right mm-hmm. there, a fantastic piece on um, – Anton Mesmer, who was a, um... Hypnotist. Yeah, hypnotist, and it deals with um, all sorts of, um, wonderful, uh, colonial, um, it it was part of the time where you had, um, the transition between, um, science and magic Mm. and Mm -hmm. the controversies between the two, and so, um... Aaron and that's Herney where the term mesmerized comes from, exactly. is from that hypnotist? That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a yeah. fantastic Central Works wow. uh, piece. Mm-hmm. So Aaron Herney is, uh, yeah, he's his birthday is on Monday. Uh, Pamela Hicks, a wonderful vocal coach,
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, who usually works with uh, folks at the DMT, Douglas Morrison Theater. Mm-hmm. Her, uh, her birthday is on Tuesday. And I'm trying to see, Michaela Bennett. You should recognize that yes. n- that name, Michaela Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder she was, where she is. She worked with uh, Before the Dream. Yeah, uh, Richard Wright. Uh, yeah, the Richard Wright thing. She was one of the biographers. She played one of the biographers. Her birthday is on Wednesday. Um, do you, Have you heard of her lately? I haven't heard anything from her, no. <laughs> yeah. And um, on Friday, along with Carrie Ann Roscoe, a good friend of mine also graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, David Brannon. He is a uh, painter. Mm-hmm. and uh, really? he just had a, um, a what do they call it, the exhibition, uh, exhibition uh, in Los Angeles. Mm. Oh. And that's it. That's all I uh, have for well me. <laughs> um, I, I want to get out a couple of shout-outs for yes. shows. If you know
1: shows that you want to promote, please do. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I say that, I forgot to say that one of the big things this week was I did a reading. Yes. Oh. Um, and it was a gorgeous little piece. Me too. Um, Go ahead. Adelia or The Nose Play. Um, it's written by two young guys. And... Um, I was in it with Jerry Lynn Cohen, who is one of the word-for-word word women, mm-hmm. um, and Ken Ruda. And that to me is like, I mean, that that is a special moment in my theater career here. Because that man was on all the big stages when I first got to town. Mm. And I remember doing a development workshop um, where we got a whole week to work on a piece. And there was a little festival, I guess, of pieces. So he was in a little piece, two-hander, where they had almost no rehearsal. Like they ours was somewhat staged. Theirs was two people sitting in chairs reading the script. And when you hear about somebody like acting so well that they can do the phone book, mm-hmm. Ken Ruta is one of those. Wow. Women. Wow. wow. Um, so there I was sitting next to Ken Ruta and just listening to his voice, <laughs> this incredible voice. Uh, so you got bring bring a Bram bring that Yeah, I maybe maybe yeah.
0: we will. Nice, But, uh,
1: yeah, I wanted to make sure I acknowledged that because that was fantastic. And it was at um, Counterpulse, yeah. which uh, last I'd seen was on Mission and is now over in the Tenderloin oh. in mm. a gorgeous space, gorgeous little space. Oh. Nice. So I was like, wow. I, yeah.
0: Really and also I want to give a shout out to um, Paul Harkness, who uh, was an audience member. He came to support our reading for Foreman in Paris. He wrote a little play. He's been working with the um, – he's been a student at um, – Oh, the Berkeley Rep. This mm-hmm. is the oh, okay. uh, writing class for Gary Graves. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that was actually the reading that I did was was part of that workshop. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, they do a fantastic thing. If there are any budding playwrights, you you should check out the uh, the Berkeley, Berkeley Rep, Rep. Mm-hmm. because you can be one of the folks selected to do a stage reading, and that's what I participated in. Uh, mm-hmm. This was uh, last. I want to say Sunday was it Sunday? Yeah, yeah.
2: They did all of them in that one weekend. I did one on Sunday at um, two o'clock.
0: Ah, yeah. And I was there. The uh, the I think it was Friday. No, Uh Saturday. It was it was Saturday. Uh, No, 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 no. I'm wrong. It was Friday. Thank you. Because
1: we couldn't. Yeah, we couldn't do it on Friday last
0: week. Right, exactly. And um, so he had a play called Hollowed Ground, and it's basically about Civil War veterans coming for the 50th anniversary. And it was a wonderful theatrical moment. I mean, you know, uh, it was bunch of us men talking, and I was the only African American there, and Mm -hmm. we talked about racial issues, Mm -hmm. but at the turn of the century, dealing with the Civil War, and uh, people got to talk afterwards, and um, and it meant so much to Paul. Mm -hmm. He's a, you know, he's a older individual, I don't know if he's in his mid-60s or 70s or whatever, and he said, you know what, this may be the one and only time I write a play, but this this uh, experience was worth it oh great it was
2: awesome I'm pretty sure I met him because I think he was actually reading one of the parts in the play reading that I did has like
0: a a meticulous beard I I think think so, yeah. He, has, he has a presence about him. Yeah.
2: Mm. I, the, the reading that I did was um, by a playwright named uh, Ralph Protzik. Yeah. And uh, it was actually a continuation of the Madame Butterfly story. Oh, oh nice. Ah. You may recall that mm-hmm. Pinkerton and Madame Butterfly have a child together. Mm. And so it's what happens to that boy uh-huh. and how he grows up. And, and, and it's completely just cut from whole cloth. Sure. He just fabricates this whole thing. But it was mm. so interesting. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting also to talk with him about – very, very briefly, I, I would love to have more time to talk with them about it, about the problematic nature of Madame Butterfly as a story. Right. And then how that plays out then, mm-hmm. you know, um, in any continuation of the story. And right. um, A lot yeah. of really interesting things that are brought up. But, yeah, it seemed like a, I, I was really happy to be a part of it. It seemed like a really solid program. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. So for folks who want to, you know, budding actor, budding playwright. You know, the Berkeley Rep, that's yeah. yet another venue that you can go to. Uh, coming up,
1: uh, actually, not for a couple, shoot, three weeks, it looks like, uh, Dirty Butterfly with Anton Zwell All right, is coming up. And uh, it's three actors, um, it's, I looked at a little bit of the script, it is, intense Mm -hmm. um it should be really wonderful to see how they bring that to life so i'm looking forward to that Mm -hmm.
0: uh we start rehearsals for uh four men in paris on Mm -hmm. monday that's right this is the time to uh, plug it we've been we've been Mm -hmm. holding them back plugging it but uh now now is the time for it four men in paris that's going to be uh at the douglas morrison theater one week only i wish well it's really four days only Mm -hmm. Uh, i wish we had more time for it but four shows four shows that's what i meant. and that will be on uh, October the 12th through the 14th, mm-hmm. basically a show about four men, based on the real events uh, of four men, Richard Wright, um, James, James Baldwin, Baldwin Chester, Chester Hines, Himes, Ollie, Ollie Harrington, Harrington. In, in their last days in Paris in 1960. Mm-hmm. It deals with uh, – there's basically three storylines that's going on. There's Richard and his relationship with Ellen, uh, which is an interracial relationship and some of the struggles with mm-hmm. marriage. Uh, James Baldwin, he is struggling with um, – not necessarily with homosexuality his identity with but um, his identity. a writer mm-hmm.
1: um, his sexual identity yes. is is he comfortable being an expatriate or does he want to be involved in the changes that are starting to yeah. bubble mm. in yeah. America and the
0: dynamic of the father and the son between um, he and Richard, Richard yeah. right yeah. and also James uh, I'm sorry Chester, Chester Himes, Himes. who uh, has to decide between a saint and a sinner you know there yeah. are two women in his life oh. and he has to make a choice all narrated by uh, Ollie Harrington. So, Four Men in Paris, we're plugging that, and we'll be plugging that until um, mm-hmm. October. Also, the complete works of William Shakespeare, Abridged by the Actors' Ensemble of Berkeley. Radical Ra- Radica Rao is involved in that. Very nice. And uh, that will be um, that will be going on until, uh, I know it's... Oh, it's, uh, it's, open, already, yeah, it's open already. Yeah, oh, it's open already. Uh, I think until September the 1st. Oh, uh, okay. One more week. Yeah, exactly. Uh, piano Fights, uh, short-lived, mm. uh, short-lived seven, yes, the finals. Mm. And that will be going on. I think we have a couple of friends who are involved in that.
2: I think Carol Lashoff, the playwright, is has something on that oh. program.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. And also, um, oh, uh, Bridgetta Portman, I mm-hmm. think she's involved in that. Oh, cool. And I think Alan Coyne is mm-hmm. involved in that, a, a good friend of ours. So we'll uh, plug that. Also, One Man, Two Governors by the Alterina Playhouse. A good friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, Avi Jacobson, is involved in that. Oh. That uh, opened up August the 10th, but it runs until September the 9th. Mm-hmm. Cutting Ball Theater has Uncle Vanya right? Um, from September the 21st to October 21st. So you have time for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Avenue Q, mm. uh, that ends tomorrow. Oh. So, Half Moon p- Bay. Yeah, Half Moon Bay. Uh, the coastal I think it's the Coastal Rep Theater, but mm-hmm. I think it's playing at the uh, Half Moon Bay. And that's it. Did you have a good time? I did. And
2: there's actually two plugs that i like yes, to please, make. Um please, please. Um, one is the San Francisco Playhouse's um, Sunday in the Park with George. Oh, in my. In uh, um, of course. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I have a couple friends who are performing in that yeah. production, and that's going, I think, through September the 9th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's still some time left. And then, of course, the Lamplighters um, fundraising gala that I mentioned, the oh parody really. operetta that we write. Mm-hmm. It's one performance only. Mm-hmm. It's at Herbst Theater. Wait, is that at Herbst mm-hmm. Theater? I believe it's at Herbst Theater. We had to move around a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, October 14th, it's a Sunday in the mm-hmm. afternoon. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the the title is Extra, Extra Sing All About It. Yes. And it's uh, kind of uh, like, uh, um, uh, given the success of the movie The Post, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a parody of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Yeah.
0: Which is about the Washington Post and oh, okay, uh, the right. woman.
2: What what is the The Pentagon name? Papers.
0: Yeah, but but the who's the uh, the owner oh. of the Post? Um, oh. I only
2: remember that it was played by Meryl Streep. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's a fantastic uh, piece. It was fabulous. And it with to Ben and Bradley
0: and all of that sort of stuff. And, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So it's kind of a, sort of based on that, but also sort of a newspaper genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's absolutely hilarious. Our head writer is just uh, just brilliant. And so um, yeah. I want to give a hearty plug for that. I
0: think it's Catherine Graham. I think that was the woman. Mm. But in any case, Yes. We've got to check that out, October the fourteenth. Send us a plug. Send us a um, okay. if there's a link to it, then we'll post it on our our uh, thing. Absolutely, cool, fantastic. And you had a wonderful time. I did. This was really fun. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, we're glad to have you. All right. Here is my plug. You can find the yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. You can also find the yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store, use the search engine on the upper right hand side, and you can find the yay. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and search for The Yay. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me at Reg Space Clay. You can find Norman on Hoosier Hoosier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie Ann, do you have a, um, uh, in, do you do um, Instagram? And I'm not on Instagram. I'm on Facebook professionally, actually, as yes. a psychotherapist. Oh. <laughs> and, and we're, we're going to link your, uh, to, do you have a website. Do I, have
2: a d- w- I do have a website, yeah. CarrieAnnRoscoe.com is my music website, which I'm mm. going to be putting under construction soon. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if you are looking for a therapist, I'm at CarrieAnnRoscoeMFT.com.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go. So there it is, and we'll link all of that. Uh, check us out and um, let us know what you think. And we've, we've got gotta to find a better sign off, and we're out.